Today's episode of Our Close of Business is sponsored by Better Living Showcase. All the latest business news from WA, delivered daily. At Close of Business, News Briefing. Good afternoon and welcome to the At Close of Business podcast. This is Simone Grogan with your Thursday afternoon headlines. Mineral Resources has agreed to invest about $1 billion in two lithium refineries in China and says it is still working on plans for a refinery in the Pilbara. The Perth-based company will buy a 50% stake in two refineries being developed in China by its joint venture partner Albemarle Corporation. MinRes chief Chris Ellison has previously promoted the idea of building a lithium refinery in the Pilbara to process spodumene from its Wajina mine, also in the Pilbara. In a major update today on the joint venture with Albemarle, Mr Ellison signalled he was still hopeful. Albemarle has been quiet on the Pilbara operation, with the company signalling any expansion in Australia would be at the recently built refinery at Kemerton. Today's update confirmed the two companies would proceed with a restructure that was initially flagged a year ago. Minres will lift its stake in the Wajina mine from 40% to 50% and continue to operate the mine. The US company will lift its stake in the Kemerton refinery from 60% to 85%, with the refinery to be fed exclusively by its half-owned Greenbushes mine. After netting out the value of these transactions, Albemarle will pay an estimated $150 million on completion of the restructure, which will have an effective date of 1st of April last year. In a further change to the joint venture, Minres has secured the right to market its own share of lithium production. Separately, Minres and Albemarle have agreed to jointly own lithium refineries with a combined capacity of 100,000 tonnes per annum, which will be sufficient to process all output from three production trains at Wajina. Albemarle will nominate which refineries are used to process Wajina's spodumene. As a first step, Minres will acquire 50% of two Albemarle refineries in China. The Qinzhou refinery is already operating with a capacity of 25,000 tonnes per annum. Albemarle said the plant will undergo modifications next year so that it can convert Wajina spodumene. The Meishan refinery is under construction with a design capacity of 50,000 tonnes per annum and is scheduled to be commissioned by the end of 2024. Albemarle will continue to operate both refineries. Minres will make an initial payment of 350 million US dollars following receipt of any regulatory approvals. It is estimated a total payment of 660 million US dollars to develop or acquire conversion assets or to secure third-party tolling services to obtain a capacity of 100,000 tonnes per annum. And in other news, another planning policy to boost infill in the housing market has been introduced, with the state government set to implement quality controls for medium-density developments. The WA government today announced its first ever medium-density housing code to replace parts of the R-code system will be in place by September. The new medium-density policy contains controls which apply to single and group dwellings in areas coded R30 and above, and for multiple dwellings coded R30 to R60. Quality controls include retention of existing trees on site, requirement to plant new trees and deep soil areas, requirements on minimum living and garden sizes, consistent setbacks and removal of occupancy restrictions. Planning Minister Rita Safiotti said housing needs were changing as population grew, with medium-density developments becoming more common. New policy settings will start on the 1st of September with a six-month transition period. An additional two-year transitional period will apply until the end of August 2025 for buyers of house and land packages in new estates to finalise their contracts. The state government's brochure about the new code named Fremantle, Mount Lawley and Subiaco as examples of medium density in well-established Perth suburbs. 
And in other news, university mergers could be on the table. As an independent review of the state's higher education system launched today, canvassing prospective changes to the sector's structure. Former James Cook University Vice-Chancellor Sandra Harding will lead a four-member panel tasked with examining the financial sustainability and overall performance of the state's public universities. The review's terms of reference will include examining models that can boost international student enrolments and ensure ongoing financial sustainability. Other panel members will include former Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet Secretary Ian Watt, former Western Sydney University Chancellor Peter Shergold and University of Adelaide Arts Faculty Executive Dean John Williams. Their work is expected to be completed by the second half of this year. It comes as the federal government yesterday released a discussion paper for its own university's accord, which is examining similar questions at a national level. Addressing media this morning, Education Minister Tony Booty framed the impetus for structural change as a response to WA's declining share of international students and competitive research grants, as well as stagnation in the rate of domestic enrolments. This morning's announcement was met with some degree of caution from university executives, with Curtin University Vice-Chancellor Harleen Hayne welcoming the opportunity to participate in the review and detail Curtin's successes across a range of activities. Murdoch University Vice-Chancellor Andrew Deeks similarly welcomed the opportunity to participate, but suggested the review be conducted after the federal government completes its own accord. Dr Booty, however, argued such a move was unnecessary. And that's all from me this afternoon. Coming up next on the podcast, senior journalist Matt McKenzie interviews Liv de Klerk about a paradancing competition in WA. Want to get more out of life? The Better Living Showcase has exactly what you're looking for. WA's leading health, wealth and happiness event, packed with live presentations, interactive performances, networking, investment, health and financial advice. You name it. It's all about helping you live your best life. March 18 and 19 at the Perth Convention and Exhibition Centre. Get your tickets now at betterlivingshowcase.com.au or contact 0404 756 347. You're listening to Actclose of Business. I'm Matt McKenzie, and I'm chatting today to journalist Liv de Klerk, who's written a bit of a heartwarming story, actually, about a recent event in Perth that was done to encourage inclusivity, particularly among people with disabilities. It's in the February 13 edition of our magazine. Liv, why did you want to write about para-dance? So paradance is a dancing sport for people in wheelchairs and the reason I wanted to pursue this story and share it with our readers was because I didn't even know it existed. Mm -hmm. Um, It turns out the sport was actually created 50 years ago in Sweden and it only arrived in Australia in 2018 when an organisation called Para and Ability Dance WA was formed here in Perth. The article I wrote reports on a recent coaching course held in Perth where Participants were taught the fundamentals of paradance with the ultimate aim to grow the sport to a bigger scale. And in terms of growing it to a bigger scale, it seems like they had a little bit of success on that front in their recent meetup. Yes, so a coaching course was held in Perth. It was coordinated by an international organisation called World Paradance Sport, which helps put on courses all over the planet. And this was the first one in Australia, so it was quite exciting for um, Paradance WA to have that here in Perth. 
The recent course was held in late January and it was especially prominent not just because it was the first time held in Australia but because it was the biggest event of its type. I think the previous record participant number was 13 people at a course in Taiwan but this course just passed had 33 people so more than double which is awesome and the people from Para and Ability Dance WA were absolutely over the moon when they found out they'd hit this record and it wasn't just Perth people who completed the course people also flew in from the eastern states Japan Hong Kong and New Zealand really yes wow bringing people in internationally talk to me a bit about what Paradance does in terms of trying to be inclusive and promote inclusivity so when I was writing this story, I spoke with the chair from the WA Paradance organisation. His name's Daryl Davenport. And he said inclusivity is a leading reason why Paradance is so important. Its primary purpose is to obviously include people who aren't able to access what's known as traditional sports. Paradance provides the opportunity for people who maybe thought they'd never be able to dance, let alone participate in competitive dancing to be able to get that opportunity to do that. Mr Davenport said the sport is also inclusive when it comes to the official competitions because other wheelchair sports like para basketball and para tennis, they have their competitions held on separate days to the traditional basketball and traditional tennis, for example. But para dance is apparently held on the same day at the same venue with the same judges as the main dance competition, which I think is really great because it shifts away from the idea that para dance and traditional dance need to be separated and it shows people with disability, that they can be part of something instead of being almost an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Being included would probably give paradancers more self-confidence as well. Yeah, that's really important. And I understand they were also awarded some grants through some local organisations. Yes, so Para and Ability Dance WA received a grant from Department of Local Government, Sport and Culture Industries and they also received a grant from the City of Perth to hire the Perth Town Hall for the three days of the course. I think there's a lot of interesting context around this too because I understand that Perth has been picked as the bid city for Australia's bid to host the 2027 Special Olympics World Games, which could be a really positive thing. Uh, I understand there could be about 8,000 athletes, 170 countries represented, and they expect about half a million spectators. Now, apparently this would be the first time it would be held, the Special Olympics World Games, in the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, the uh, Special Olympics Committee in Australia has predicted it would bring about $200 million of economic benefits. But probably more important than any number value in terms of economic benefit are the other areas where they'd have an impact in inclusion, health, education, employment and justice, they've said. And the thing, of course, that's as important as anything else in all of this is isn't it great to give people with disabilities uh, some visibility, Liv? And so, no doubt, the people at Paradance are grateful for your role in that in this recent article in our recent edition. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for talking with me. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au. Today's episode of Our Close of Business is sponsored by Better Living Showcase.